Welcome to the Arctic Institute's Bookshelf podcast, where we explore the diversity of Arctic knowledge. In this podcast, we amplify the voices of scholars and experts from around the world to make the Arctic easy and accessible to everyone. So tune in and join our in-depth conversations that take you beyond the headlines and right into the latest ideas, challenges and experiences from the Arctic. Happy New Year and welcome to the Arctic Institute's Bookshelf podcast. My name is Roman Schiffer. And I'm Lyuba Timonjana. And we're very happy to welcome you to our special episode today. If you follow us on social media or read our newsletter, you might have noticed that last year we celebrated our 10th anniversary. Happy birthday, us! Woohoo! Today, we bring you a step closer to the people without whom the Arctic Institute wouldn't be what it is. From the origin story back in 2011 to what lies ahead for the next decade, sit down, relax and enjoy the podcast. In 2011, Malta Humpert, who was freshly graduated from Georgetown University in Washington DC, had an idea for a think tank. I really wanted to work in the climate security space climate change space with a special focus on the Arctic. But at the time, there was very little focused research in that space. There were a few think tanks in Washington, D.C. that had some small Arctic divisions, but there was no dedicated think tank that was able to look at the Arctic as a standalone region and analyze and interpret all the different issues, be it climate change or oil and gas, security, indigenous issues, shipping, and so forth. So I really wanted to create a platform that looked at all these issues and how they were intertwined and also create opportunities for young, early career social scientists, especially in DC. It was and probably still is very hard to break in the research space, the think tank world. And so the goal from the beginning was to get the next generation opportunities and allow them to contribute to this growing issue that really is you know, the issue and the challenge of the coming generation. This is not the challenge of the 65-year-old who's about to retire, but of someone in their mid-20s or early 30s um, who will feel the impact of climate change the most. And of course, the Arctic kind of foreshadows a lot of those challenges that will arise and are already arising um, today. Climate change is happening so much more quickly in the Arctic. The challenges that other regions will face today are already being foreshadowed in in the Arctic. The origin story is is pretty straightforward. I really wanted to work in that space. Um, I applied to a few positions that kind of covered the climate security, climate change kind of space, Um, but I really didn't make any headway. And so eventually I decided, um, how about I try to start my my own thing? And so surprisingly, the domain, the arcticinstitute.org was available. Um, I secured all the respected, uh, respective domains and Twitter presence and so on. And I learned how to program and I designed the website and got the first iteration of the website going. And then I started looking for other early career social scientists um, via LinkedIn, you know, via recent publications and kind of uh, reached out to them and made a pitch if they wanted to um, contribute and um, help build this uh, new emerging think tank. And, uh, you know, then we went from there. And uh, some of those, you know, first contributors and um, first team members are still um, with us today. Ten, ten years later, they're still part of the team. 
Andreas Hushagen, senior fellow at the Arctic Institute, was one of the people who joined Malta in his endeavour back in 2011 to build the think tank. Let's know here his side of the story. So I've had the pleasure of being part of the Arctic Institute more or less since the beginning, I must say. Back in, in 2011, it was that I joined. Um, back then, I guess it was more or less just a, a blog or a, or a, a website. I remember um, I was working in Washington DC summer of 2011 as a, as a research intern at one of the think tanks in, the, in DC. And um, uh, you know, back, back then there were not that many who were writing about the Arctic. A few scholars were getting, getting interested, uh, but not that many. And uh, I got an email from, from Malta Humpert, who, who then, I guess, just recently had launched the, the Arctic Institute's website and created it all by himself, more or less, and uh, asking me if I wanted to, to partake in, in writing a couple of articles and, and see where it developed. And I remember thinking, you know, the website looked rather cool for, for that time, um, even calling it a center for uh, security studies or circumpolar security studies, although in reality, right, it was just Malta and I think Catherine had, had joined from Germany, um, maybe uh, week or, or two before me and, and, and myself. So it was, uh, I guess, a, um, a humble start, a humble beginning, but with a great potential due to, to Malta's uh, initial effort. And, uh, and now, of course, you know, a decade later, things have changed quite a bit, becoming a, an established nonprofit, having 15, 20 plus participants, visiting scholars, having multiple projects across different countries that we take part in. Um, so, so, you know, it's a, amazing what you can do with, with initially a, a website and a couple of engaged young scholars. A few months after Andreas Ushagen, another Andreas joined the Oregon Institute. Andreas Rasputnik, senior fellow and leadership group member, tells us how he joined the Oregon Institute in the first place. So basically, um, I got in touch with Malta in October 2011, I think it was, when I started my PhD on the, on the European Union's um, Arctic interests and the European Union's Arctic policy. And by coincidence, um, Malta at that point um, was uh, back home in Germany, in Düsseldorf, and I did my PhD in Cologne. Uh, so we, we actually met in Düsseldorf in, in November and we talked about the Arctic and he talked about his idea for the Arctic Institute and he asks if I want to join. He already had uh, two other people on board, which were um, Diad Andreas uh, and Catherine, who unfortunately left us already. And ever since then, we, we, we started to very slowly build the Arctic Institute, but um, initially uh, as a blog, uh, as a platform to, to publish our ideas and our thoughts about the Arctic. And then we had other people joining us, particularly Tom, Tom Fries, who became somehow a social media newsletter guru. And, and, and uh, you know, step by step, it became bigger and bigger and more people following the Arctic Institute, following our ideas. We met people at various conferences and new people joined with new ideas and, and new thoughts on how to develop um, the Institute. And now we have been doing that for 10 years and it's still a lot of fun. It's still a lot of work. A lot of people don't 
see that. A lot of people don't know that about the Arctic Institute, but we can only, I think, emphasize and emphasize and emphasize that it's, it's a voluntary organization mainly, um, that a lot of people put a lot of spare time into the Arctic Institute on, on developing it, but also on, like, of course, creating opportunities for themselves. From its humble beginning, as what Andreas Hushagen described as a blog, to becoming one of the leading Arctic think tanks and registered nonprofits in the United States, the Arctic Institute has kept evolving over the years. Let's now hear from one of the people who played a key role since joining in 2015. Victoria Herman served as managing director and president of the Arctic Institute until August 2021. I first joined the Arctic Institute's team in January 2015. I was a PhD student at the time, and just a few months before, I had found the Arctic Institute's website and I read everything that they published. I thought that their commentaries and reports were really thought-provoking and provided great insights into the many dimensions of Arctic security, not just military security and hard conflict, but digging deep into all of those facets that make up human security, economic, food, health, environmental, cultural, and that was really appealing to me as a PhD student in geography, that there was this space in Arctic conversations that you can combine people who were working on energy and culture, on environmental security and public health security. And after finding the Arctic Institute's website, I submitted an article at the end of 2014 about how the United States was not yet an Arctic nation, but through its Arctic Council chairmanship at the time, it could really live up to its potential by being a leader in the circumpolar north in climate change and equitable energy transitions, and also serve its northernmost residents and uplift indigenous voices. After I submitted that commentary, Malta, the executive director at the time, invited me to join the team, and I was over the moon. I was so excited to join this group of people who focused and spent so much time and energy uplifting young Arctic scholars and being able to create connections across different countries and different disciplines to create better research and more inclusive solutions in what policy proposals and analysis uh, was being produced. And if I think back to January 2015, when I first joined as a research associate, the team then really instilled the values that are still the pillars of what the Arctic Institute is today. Integrity, accessibility, a deep inclusion, and collaboration. When I joined, it 
was joining a team that was built on collaboration and inclusion. Collaboration with universities and governments and nonprofits and indigenous nations in every Arctic country. Um, the Arctic Institute was collaborating in Norway, in the United States, in Iceland, um, really across the region in events and publications. And that type of collaboration was something that resonated with me personally um, and also is something that I have carried with me uh, as one of the organization's leaders over the past five years, that no challenge in the North or anywhere on this planet can be resolved or opportunities identified without collaboration. And it's so important on building partnerships with Arctic and non-Arctic organizations and for the Arctic Institute, that meant at the time and still today that that really means focusing on collaborations that support early career work and to learn from, listen to, and work with partners as diverse as the region itself towards our common goal, towards the vision of the Arctic Institute, which today is a region that is defined by peace, justice, and sustainability. But that collaboration is just one of the values that that first team instilled in me and in the organization. The integrity, which is at the heart of everything we do, um, is reflective of our team and our work, that the Arctic Institute upholds the excellence and academic honesty that goes into rigorous qualitative research. Um, but that also means that we provide an open platform that uplifts a range of voices. And you see that in our organization today. When you go on to the arcticinstitute.org and you look at our commentaries and our infographics, our multimedia reports, even our YouTube channel, you see the diversity of voices, um, of opinions, but also um, of that strong sense of research um, and that what we are publishing is of the highest caliber and that our editorial team um, throughout the entire history of the organization has done an amazing job at ensuring all of our work is up to the highest standards, um, is holding ourselves accountable for doing quality work, and is transparent in the peer review process that we have on our team and how we work to increase the range of topics of scholars, of practitioners that we include in our work. Um, the early years of the Arctic Institute also were really based on accessibility. And that's something that I took with me in 2015. And I think as a team, we've really expanded on over the past five years, um, making sure that everything that we publish, all of our events, all of our partnerships are made accessible to everyone. 
that's not just accessible in terms of having a website that provides free weekly analysis, news roundups, or our dozens of virtual and uh, in-person events that we put on in uh, countries across the North. It also means that we keep an eye on how we are publishing, what types of language we are using, um, both so that anyone can read our reports and have a good understanding um, of what we are researching and what we are advocating for. Over the years, the Arctic Institute has evolved into a bigger and broader community. Now we would hear from people who've joined us in recent years and who've had an impact on the Arctic Institute. And they will also tell us about the kind of impact the Arctic Institute has had on them, both personally and professionally. And here is Pavel Devatkin and his story with the Arctic Institute. It's been a real honor to be with the Arctic Institute since I was an intern back in 2016. And now I'm a research associate and part of the leadership group. There have been many great moments during my time at the Arctic Institute where I've collaborated with team members and been invited to high-level projects and events in the Arctic states. But one particular fond moment was when I spoke alongside my colleague Andreas Raspotnik at a conference organized by the Foreign Policy Community of Indonesia. We presented our research on Arctic geopolitics alongside esteemed professors to a large group of students from the University of Indonesia. And we received some fascinating questions, such as the prospects for selling Arctic-sourced vodka. It showed me that people around the world, in nearly every corner of the world, care about what's happening in this rapidly changing environment. Our field is notorious for having overhyped declarations and myths, such as the impending doom of war between the Arctic states or the certainty of northern shipping routes. So it's crucial to provide comprehensive analyses of such issues. The biggest reason I've stayed with the Arctic Institute is the incredible team. My colleagues are always super supportive, committed to our mission of promoting a peaceful and sustainable Arctic, and incredibly interesting to speak with. It's very hard to find another team of professionals that are so knowledgeable on everything from conflicts arising over fisheries to indigenous people's rights over natural resources. And this is Lilian Hosson, who's currently acting as a interim director of the Arctic Institute. I am coming up on four years with the Arctic Institute. And in some ways, I can't actually believe that um, the Arctic Institute is celebrating its 10th anniversary. Like, I feel like it's been around for so much longer than that. I was a total newcomer to the Arctic in 2016. I was in the first year of my global affairs PhD program at Rutgers, and I was looking for information all over the internet about anything and everything that had to do with the Arctic. I don't remember exactly how I found the Arctic Institute, but I remember thinking that like this was the place that I needed to follow. And I had signed up for their weekly newsletter, and I can't even tell you how many articles I ended up reading and citing in my graduate papers that I was writing at the time. Like Ty's newsletter was so helpful um, that I have a line in my dissertation acknowledgments thanking them for what they've done. 
Um, but my direct interaction with Ty was actually completely accidental. I'd been presenting at an Arctic conference in Umeå, Sweden in 2017. And I remember it was the last day and I wanted to attend a panel about children's literature in the Arctic because my mom's a literature professor and she taught about children's literature. So I thought it would be cool. Um, no pun intended. <laughs> but I walked into the wrong room and too late I realized that it was about the Model Arctic Council. And I'd never been involved with anything like Model UNs, so like this wasn't for me. <laughs> but I didn't want to be rude and, you know, I'll always support any early career people who are speaking. And Val Music uh, was on the panel and we got to talking afterwards and we went out with a group of people and I got to hear more about the Arctic Institute from a personal perspective. And it sounded really awesome and I wanted to be a part of it. And then sometime in 2018, I saw a call for interns for social media and I thought, this is my chance. I'd been working in social media since uh, 2011, so I gave it my best shot. I sent in an application, I spoke with Victoria, and the rest was history. So meeting Val was maybe one of the best professional accidents I've had. And after I was hired, I told Victoria, like, I'll be a social media intern forever if that's what they wanted. But things really came full circle for me in 2019 when Val and I were on a panel together at the Wilson Center. We were there to discuss young professionals working on Arctic issues, and it was such an honor for me to speak there. And really, my favorite experiences have been not only meeting Val, but meeting staff members all over D.C. and Iceland and Norway. You know, I've really enjoyed supporting my colleagues in posting their work online, but it's so nice when you can actually see them in person, too. So in the future, I hope we'll all be able to come together when this pandemic is over. I can't wait to see and meet more of my colleagues in person who I meet month to month, uh, you know, in our meetings. Um, the organization that I saw as this total powerhouse back in 2016 is the same organization that I see today. You know, it's thanks to Malta's vision and Victoria's leadership and all those who worked at Thai before me. They paved the way for this team to put the best scholarly content on the Arctic out there. We've brought a lot of great people in since I started working in 2018, and I'm so excited for their fresh ideas on what we can do together to put the spotlight on the Arctic. It's going to be really cool. <laughs> Pun intended this time. The next one is from Fanny Tila Cunnings. I got to know the Arctic Institute at the end of 2019, when I was in my final year of master's degree. I was working on a media monitoring on the Arctic region, looking at the geopolitical implications of climate change, as well as its consequences for economic fisheries and energy issues there. So I kept finding articles from the Arctic Institute that provided more subtle analysis of the geopolitical and diplomatic game than the big China and Russia are inviting the Arctic, there will soon be a second Cold War or whatever. And of course I knew the issue was much more complex than that, but I guess from France I still had this rather schematic vision of a competition between Russia and the United States found in the Arctic. So I ended up contacting someone on the team to ask some questions and, well, pretty soon I was offered to get involved. It was first at an event that unfortunately ended up being cancelled because of COVID. 
But then, sometimes later, I was offered to help with a newsletter. And that was such a relief, because I really wanted to get involved. But I wasn't sure how, because I wasn't sure of my expertise about the Arctic, and I just had a great interest in the area, but also a lack of confidence. So, yeah, this is how I ended up joining the Arctic Institute. And I think it's what is really cool about being part of the Arctic Institute, that everyone has different knowledge, different point of view, and it's very inspiring when you are a young student to work with experts from around the world that have great experience in research. The next comment comes from Nimo Korami. My first encounter with the Arctic Institute goes back to 2019 when I first signed up for our weekly newsletter. Um, there was then an internship opportunity which was advertised uh, in one of those uh, weekly newsletters for which I applied obviously, but then Andreas was kind enough to take a risk uh, and offer me a research associate position because he thought I was overqualified for internship. And that really kick-started my journey towards understanding and researching Sweden's uh, Arctic strategy. Um, and because of that experience, I see the Institute as a community of Arctic experts and Arctic enthusiasts who are committed to nurture the future generation of uh, Arctic researchers and are also committed in informing the public debate on anything and everything related to the Arctic uh, and do so in a very sort of responsible manner. And that means to avoid hyper-politicizing the region. Next on the line is Apostolos Chivalas, who is in charge of editing the Arctic This Week newsletter. My story with the Arctic Institute uh, dates back to 2019, when I joined the Institute after seeing an open call for interns on Facebook. I first joined as a research intern for the project Alaska Nor, which develops a comparative study between Alaska and Northern Norway fisheries and aquaculture sectors in the context of blue economy. After a year at the Institute, I took on the editorial part of the Arctic This Week, our weekly newspaper. Since then, I've been working on the news and I truly enjoyed it. It is great to have the feeling of belonging to a network that there is a bunch of people around the globe working with you on the same issue through the same platform being located in a completely different corner of the Arctic. Last but not least, you will hear from a couple of our latest staff members, Eleanor and Estelle. Uh, I'm Eleanor Tessin. <laughs> I'm a research intern with the infographics group at the Arctic Institute. And uh, I'm also a PhD student in ocean optics at the University of Bergen. Um, I think the work as a research intern is important for me um, outside of the internship as well, because I'm really interested in becoming uh, a science communicator after my PhD and um, just the experience of repackaging scientific information in a way that is very easy to understand um, I think is really helpful for me. I spend most of my day reading scientific papers um, which are not really accessible for most people and I think there's a lot of information in there that's really important uh, for other people to know as well even if you don't have a university degree. Um, I'm really interested in the Arctic in specific because I've spent some time 
studying in the Arctic. Um, I was a student at the University Center in Svalbard, for example. And um, I really like uh, that at the Arctic Institute, there's a lot of different scientists and also other people from different backgrounds coming together and working together. I don't really have a lot of opportunity to work with social scientists, usually, for example. And uh, yeah, that's uh, one of the things that really, I think is really helpful and nice at the Arctic Institute. Uh, my name is uh, Estelle Laurent, and I'm currently working as a research intern for the Arctic Institute, uh, especially the Arctic This Week application form. Basically, I uh, co-write and deliver uh, weekly news summaries on Arctic-related issues. For example, uh, Arctic geopolitics, security, sustainable development, fisheries, or indigenous affairs. Uh, being an intern at Thai has really taught me how to um, uh, make great, great connection uh, despite the, the distance or the time difference and also um, challenge myself um, in, intellectually and, and uh, learn every day about uh, Arctic, uh, Arctic news and uh, not losing track of uh, what's going on in the Arctic region. Because now, uh, a part of my apart from my work at Thai, uh, I actually work uh, on another uh, topic that's not Arctic related. So it's really nice for me to just not lose track of what is going on in the Arctic region, and Thai is there to remind me that. So I really like it. Uh, I just wanted to say, I just wanted to wish um, happy uh, 10th anniversary uh, to the Arctic Institute. And I'm very much looking forward to continue working with the rest of the team. And uh, this is just the beginning of the journey for me. <laughs> What did you think of what all the guests had to say, Luba? What I was thinking when I was listening to all the people who shared their thoughts was that really the uh, the Arctic Institute's newsletter is something that really united most of us. <laughs> yeah. That's like the way how most of the people came, in, came um, to the Arctic Institute, me included actually, myself included. And that was really the, I think, one of the best, perhaps, gateways uh, into this think tank that really allowed all of us to do something, you know, mm -hmm. to make our own little contribution that uh, then made uh, many of us actually stay <laughs> with the Arctic City. <laughs> yeah, you're already in this news newsroom. I don't know how to say that. Maybe that's the way to put it. All the time. And you feel like you're... Uh, you just, um, yeah, you're following the news, you reflect upon them, you discuss them, you feel that you actually, um, I don't know, make, do something useful by the, by the fact of sharing them, you know, with others and picking those who you think uh, matter most. And uh, I really enjoyed it, uh, to be honest. Yeah, it's interesting because I think both Lillian and Estelle mentioned this, is that 
Oh, Lillian mentioned it, uh, mentioned that she used the newsletter in her graduate dissertation. And Estelle was like, oh yeah, I have this job, which is not at all related to the Arctic, but the newsletter and, I mean, I guess the app uh, is is also part of the newsletter, even though the two teams don't work together that much. But this allows her to keep in touch with what's happening in the Arctic, which I think is cool because I think a lot of people don't realize uh, from the outside that obviously we have this finished product of the newsletter that you receive uh, every Thursday in uh, in your inbox, but also you can check your phone and every Monday, if you have the app, you can see uh, five of the of the top stories i guess or of five right. stories selected by the by the uh app team but there's so much work being done to to arrive to these kind of products but also like so much work for us but also there's so much added value for people writing uh right. those stories and summarizing them because it's yeah it allows you to have a much fuller uh understanding of what is happening in the arctic obviously it's always through the media or through a media angle but at the same time i think it's really good as a researcher to be so much in touch with the media and have another layer of understanding uh the arctic which i think makes it so valuable to work on these uh newsletter these uh or the, even the app myself i didn't i mean you said you uh you started with the, the newsletter but I started with the app. It kind of made you stay in, uh, you know, in different realities. You mentioned like this media reality and mm-hmm. and what they were doing and <laughs> what they were engaged with there in their own little world, uh, Arctic media, you know, and the researchers. And then you had some other things, you know, going on. And uh, I actually found it uh, pretty cool to get, uh, yeah, to, to, to stay in different worlds at the same time, to kind of have this gateway. And maybe as a last question, Luba, uh, where do you see the Arctic Institute in 10 years' time? We've asked that to, uh, to your guests today uh, and to maybe people who have either a very clear vision of where the Arctic Institute will be in 10 years' time, um, and people who are just here for like, or who's just been here for a couple of years and maybe who can't project themselves in the future. But you've been working at the Arctic Institute since 2018, I think. Uh, right. So where do you see um, the Arctic Institute in 2031? Well, I would say that I still see it in the list of, top-ranked think tanks worldwide. And uh, and also, I really wish, and we've had this talks within the Arctic Institute as well, and that's, I think, one of our dreams, um, collective dreams, to actually have a place where we could <laughs> meet, where we could come to uh, and um, talk to each other and just see each other no matter where we actually live, where we work, but to actually have a place together. <laughs> um, that's, I don't know where it will be, but that's where I want to see the Arctic Institute uh, someday. And I, I'm pretty much sure that it will happen. <laughs> yeah, I, I, was, I was just trying to think, uh, listening to you. 
don't think I have a specific vision for, for the next 10 years. But as we discussed, there's a couple of things that I think are important uh, to put in place uh, in in the next decade. They're trying to publish much more in, in different languages and trying to reach a broader public and to raise awareness uh, about what's happening in the Arctic. Uh, not only from a climate crisis uh, perspective, but I mean, although this is the most important thing, obviously, um, but also trying to recenter the people living in in the Arctic and for for them to to tell their own stories, and I think um, that's important. That's what, as I guess, a think tank and also. Uh, institution that delves into um, science communication that's what we can do uh, and also that's how we can be used as a force for quote-unquote good yeah I just want to the Arctic Institute to keep its mission of being inclusive and trying to foster a more sustainable Arctic and and trying to foster a more sustainable Arctic is uh, I mean maybe a business term <laughs> or a term that we, we we've come we've come to to um to hear a lot but it also mean uh means being inclusive uh and trying to bring in uh those voices uh from different perspectives as well which um i think this has been one of the aims of uh this podcast as well to to try to with the focus on early careers that the Arctic Institute has always had, um, trying to bring to the forefront ideas that are a bit less heard or voices that are a bit less heard. Last but not least is to have fun <laughs> with research, have fun with uh, doing analysis, have fun with uh, having workshops, you know, and uh, producing publications just to really enjoy this work as much as possible and to share this, uh, this joy with others. If you've made it that far, thank you so much for listening to this special episode of the Arctic Institute's Bookshelf Podcast. We hope you've enjoyed this behind-the-scenes look at our work, what we do, and who we are as we enter our second decade. The Arctic Institute is an all-voluntary independent think tank registered as a 501c3, and if you want, you can financially help our work by making donations today. You can access our 2022 fundraising campaign on our website, www.thearcticinstitute.org or via our family link in the description. We can't tell for sure what the future holds for us. However, we already know. It's going to be really cool. <laughs>